0: Good to see each of you this morning, and I hope that our opportunity that we enjoy now will be one that will be encouraging and edifying. On Sunday mornings, we are studying the book of 1 Corinthians. We are trying to follow the same material that our young people are studying in the Bible bowl, and so I encourage you to not only study together with us, but also to read and study at home, and also perhaps to engage your children. In some of these great passages of God's Word. In preparation for our studying of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I want to point out that a person is a product of his own generation and his own culture. We may not realize it, but those of us who live today in 2020 in McMinnville, Tennessee, in the United States, have a culture. We are identifiable by that culture. Jesus said in Luke chapter 7 and verse 31, to what shall I liken this generation of men or the men of this generation and what are they like? If you and I were begin to describe our generation, there are a number of key areas which we might want to focus upon. But I want you to notice that every generation has their own unique characteristics. Now, the question comes up, are cultural norms important? In other words, the the various things that are part of our standard of this generation are those important. And how should culture affect the behavior of a Christian? Does it really matter? Well, here's what I would like for us to do as we study the first part of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We want to look first of all at traditions and customs, verses 2 and 16. Then we want to focus on headship and authority in verse 3. Then verses 4 through 15, we'll look at the Corinthian custom. And then finally, we will try to tie it all together with some abiding principles. I have a lot to say and a short time to say it in, so. Let's grab our Bibles and let's study along. To begin with, let's look at verses 2 and 16. Verse 2, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. Keep the traditions. Then look at verse 16. But if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom nor do the churches of God. If you really want to look at them, verse 2 and verse 16 are bookends. At the beginning of verse 2, we have the emphasis on traditions. In verse 16, we have the emphasis on customs. And you see, the truth is, traditions can either be good or they can be bad. In Mark chapter 7, verses 8 and 9, Jesus spoke about those who would lay aside the commandment of God that they may keep their tradition. And then in verse 9, he says, All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. Their traditions were those of men contrary to the word of God, and they chose which ones they wanted to keep. But in 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 15, Paul says... Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the tradition which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. When you find a tradition there, it's one that comes from God. And so a tradition can either be good or bad depending upon from whom it comes and whether or not it conflicts with God's laws. A little bit different are customs customs are behaviors and sometimes they also can be either good or bad depending upon whether or not they are in accordance with God's laws to give you a little bit of difference between the tradition or custom i'd refer you to ruth chapter 4 verse 7 it says now this was a custom in former times in israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm anything One man took off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was confirmation in Israel. I thought that's a rather unique, odd custom. Uh, I'm thinking about exchanging sandals. Now you have one of one kind and one of another. But uh, it was a custom. It was a way that a person would mark. Pretty much like today, when we have a custom, we may sign our name on a dotted line that says, this is our agreement. Another is referred to in John 18 and verse 39. Pilate, it says, but you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Every year at the Passover, there would be one of the prisoners who would be released. That was a custom which they had. You see, some customs can though be bound and some of those can be loosed and people can say, I don't know if I follow that custom. Paul said some have become contentious regarding their customs. And he says, that's not what we do in the church. We don't become contentious about them. In fact, Paul in every church taught the same thing. You can look at 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 17. He says, so I ordain in all the churches. Verse 33 of chapter 14. God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all the churches of the saints, or chapter 16, verse 1, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I've given order to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. The emphasis is upon the fact that each of these churches were taught the same thing and practiced the same thing. Paul said we don't find contention in trying to make sure that churches argue and strive about these things. But the second point that I want to drive home is that of the headship and authority. Notice carefully with me verse 3 of this context. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man and the head of Christ is God. When you find the word head that is used here, It can be used either literally or figuratively. It either talks about the head which a person has. For instance, in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 17, he says when those people fasted, they were to anoint their head and to wash their face. He talked about in chapter 10 and verse 30 that the number of their hairs on their head were numbered. But in another context... He uses the word head in a figurative sense. In chapter one and verse twenty two of Ephesians, and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. In chapter five, verse twenty three, for the husband is the head of the wife. So he's talking about the leadership role, the authority role. And just like our head guides our physical bodies, the figurative sense in which it means that of authority. Headship, however, is not about value or worth, but it's about authority. Who is leading? Who is the one who is making the decisions? But again, I remind you, it is not about worth or value. How do I know that's the case? Because Jesus was equal with God, but was submissive to Him and to His will. We find in John 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so Jesus possessed all the characteristics of God. In fact, Colossians 2 verse 9 says, For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. But when we read Philippians 2 and verse 6, we see, Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. But then he goes on to say that he took the form of a servant. He was found in the fashion of a man. Jesus became subservient or submissive to the will of the Father. And that's the reason why when we read the book of John, particularly chapter 5, verse 30, I can myself do nothing as I hear I judge and my judgment is righteous because I seek not my own but the will of the Father who sent me. Chapter 6, verse 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus was saying, the Father is here and I am submissive to the Father. He respected the authority. He respected the headship. But then we see that women are equal to men, but they are likewise to be submissive. You can read such passages as Galatians 3 and verse 28 where he said there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female for you're all one in Christ Jesus. In God's eyes, it does not matter if a person is a man or a woman. Their souls have exactly the same value before God. God sent Jesus to die for all men and all women. We learn from Luke chapter 20, verses 34 through 36, that when the resurrection comes, it says in verse 36, nor can they die anymore, for they are equal to the angels and are sons of God being sons of the resurrection. The equality there among God's creation. We learn, however, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, wives likewise be submissive to your own husbands. So the idea of headship is that of being submissive, not of worth or of value. There is an authority chain established by God. And it is clearly this, God the Father, and then Jesus who is submissive to Him. And then man who is submissive to Christ, and woman who is submissive to the man. That was God's design. And so as Paul begins chapter 11... He's establishing some traditions that he delivered, that is, God's word, God's message. He is likewise establishing authority. Well, that brings us to the third part, which is probably the most difficult part of 1 Corinthians 11, and that is the Corinthian custom. What was the issue that they had there? Well, let's read verses 4 through verse 15. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered, dishonors her head. For that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. For if a woman is not covered, let her be also be shorn. But if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to have cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is man independent of the woman, nor woman independent of the man in the Lord. For as woman came from man, even so man also comes through woman. But all things are from God. Judge among yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. Now, for just a few moments, I'd like to notice, I'm going to begin by sort of Identifying some of the areas of concern. The first one is that of praying or prophesying. It's important to see the context here. Number two, being covered or uncovered. What kind of covering are we talking about? He talks about the woman and he talks about the man, male and female here. And then he talks about hair. And he talks about having a head that was shorn or shaved. No hair at all. Well, let's begin, first of all, with the idea of praying or prophesying. This is a public event limited to the males in the mixed assembly. When the Lord's church gathers together as the church, God has some principles that are binding. These are the traditions delivered to us by God. And when we start thinking about this kind of assembly, it involved the exercising at that time of the miraculous spiritual gifts. Lord willing, next Sunday we'll talk about chapter 12 and we'll talk about some of the spiritual gifts that God had planned for the church to have, but that they were to be limited for a certain period of time. When you go to chapter 14 in verse 26... He describes that kind of gathering. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, coming together as a church, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. When he says that, he's talking about a church where they would exercise, for instance, the speaking in tongues. Or one might have a revelation from God But then you drop down to verse 34 and he explains women who were in that assembly. Let your women keep silent in the church for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive. As the law also says, and if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home for it is shameful for women to speak in the church. Wow, that's interesting about the way he presents it. But when I go to 1 Timothy 2, verse 8, I learned that God has the same plan whether Paul was teaching Timothy or the Corinthians. He said, I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And then in verse 9, likewise, that the women also adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with braided hair, costly gold, Or costly pearls of gold, but that which is women professing godliness with good works. You see, what he's talking about, I want men to pray. And so when he talks about the authority principle in verse 3, that of the headship, now he's applying it to a situation of a custom that was existing at Corinth. But here's an interesting fact. There were women who did prophesy. When you go to Acts chapter 2 verse 17, going back to Joel's prophecy, It shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. When you get to chapter 21 verse 7 of Acts, or 21 verse 9, and it says that Philip had four virgin daughters who prophesied. What am I to conclude from that? That they had services where it was limited to men and that men were to be uncovered lest they dishonor God. Now you can say, well, what was the big deal about not having a covering? Because in the first century... In Corinth, for a man to wear a veil, which was a total head covering, was a sign of femininity or effemacy, where a person was showing that they had female characteristics, and God did not want that. On the other hand, women were to be covered lest they dishonored their husbands. To be uncovered was a symbol that this woman answers to no man. That's the reason why it's talking about a symbol of authority. She's wearing the veil. She's wearing the covering that shows that she respects her husband. But to not wear it was a sign that she didn't answer to anybody. And there was an additional custom in Corinth. It was a sign of a prostitute not to wear a covering And thus she was saying, I am available, that whoever, whatever man wants me, I'm available to him. And so you see how the custom and the tradition were brought together in Corinth. And Paul is saying, when you have men, they ought not cover their heads because they don't need that sign of authority. They don't need to show their submissiveness to someone else because their responsibility is Christ. On the other hand, women should reflect that in their lives because of their respect toward their husbands. Now, there's some questions that arise. I've had some of these asked to me, so I want to try to address some of them. Was the hair the covering? And the answer is no. Because it was something that could be put on or removed at will. So you're not talking about a woman, for instance, having long hair and then taking it off and putting it back on. It was, it was something that was done at will. If that was the case and hair was the covering, then only bald men could pray. And uh, because he says every man praying with his head covered, that means that if men were going to pray, they'd have to shave their head. So he's not talking about the hair. Not wearing the veil would make one, though, ashamed as if they didn't their hair shaved. Here's a woman, and most women would not want to go about with their heads completely shaved. That would be an embarrassment to them. And he says, if you're not going to go around with a veil, that's going to be an embarrassing situation. Then you'd be just as well as having your hair covered. Well, let me try to take some abiding principles here that I think... We can learn from. And first of all, the authority principle is not cultural. This fact that there's God, there's Christ, there's the man and there's woman is not based upon some cultural fact that existed at Corinth. It's based in creation. Going back to 1 Timothy chapter 2, he said in verses 13 and 14, For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. That parallels what Paul says about woman was not or man was not created for the woman, but woman was created for the man. This goes back to reflecting the authority principle, is rooted in God's plan of creation. But customs, however may be restrictive. Those customs may be the point that Paul had made just earlier in chapters 8 and 9. I don't know if you'll remember when we studied just three or four weeks ago. In chapter 8, he was talking about eating of meats. And he says, if eating meats caused my brother to stumble, I'll never more eat meat again. In chapter 9, he talked about his right of being supported to preach the gospel but he said i didn't take that why because he says i have become all things to all men that i might by all means save some paul would say i have rights to do certain things but i don't exercise those rights because i want to consider how i affect others sometimes customs limit what you and I may do, lest we mislead or lead someone astray. Which carries with it the next idea, and that is Christians must never engage in behavior that is perceived as sinful. And so for a woman in Corinth to do something that was perceived as being ungodly, sinful in the eyes of others, would be something that she ought not do. And we find in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 21. Providing for thing, honorable things. Not only in the sight of the Lord. But also in the sight of men. We ought to live so that not only do people know we are godly people. But we live so that the world knows we're godly as well. That we're respecting of God. And we're respecting of his authority. But here's the second principle that's abiding here. And that is God did not want the blurring of the lines of male and female. And that goes counterculture to our society today. We have people who supposedly in our country cannot decide whether they want to be a man or a woman. They want this idea that they want to dress right here in the middle. And that you really can't tell whether they're a man or a woman. And for that reason, there are people even acting like they're women if they're men or acting like they're men if they're women. And that was something that God never intended. Let me illustrate that from Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5. A woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, nor shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all who do so are an abomination to the Lord your God that doesn 't mean that women could not wear a kind of garment that a man wears, but what it means is the kind of garment she wears should not make her look like a man, and a man shouldn 't try to look like a woman god didn 't want, want the blurring of distinctions because he had a, a symbol of authority he had God the Father, he had the Son Jesus, he had man, he had woman. And what we start doing is we start trying to blur God's lines of authority. And when we do in our society today, that's countercultural. And in those cases, we keep the traditions that have been given to us by God and not by the traditions of men. Now, I realize that this section is, is rather difficult, but respect for God and His authority will cause us to be very careful in our actions. What we say, what we do, how we dress, and even in our assemblies, as he is describing here in this situation, we ought to make sure that we're doing things that are pleasing God. And doing so, we are imitating Christ. Don't forget verse 1. Be imitators of Christ, even as I am. You want to do the things that God would have done. And when we go to Romans 15 and verse 3, and he's talking about the limiting of our desires and our pleasures, he says, For even Christ did not please himself. Jesus never chose to try to please himself, but to please the Father. I want to use one last one. We're thinking about chapters 10 and 11, and he's talking about examples, and he's talking about matters of respect and matters of authority. I want to think about the baptism of Christ. You know, we're about to extend the invitation. As you look at Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 16, Jesus came to John from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John did not want to do that. In the latter part of verse 14, he said, I need to be baptized by you. Jesus said, permit it to be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus is saying, I want to do everything that the Father wants me to do. I want to be what He wants me to be. If I'm going to imitate Christ, I'm going to do whatever God wants me to do. And God wants me to believe in Jesus His Son. John 8 verse 24, Hebrews 11 verse 6. God wants me to repent of my sins, to turn my back on the sinful ways of my past. God wants me to confess, Jesus as His Son, that I believe that He's the Christ, the Son of the living God. And God wants me to be baptized. And Jesus was baptized because He was going to fulfill all righteousness. You and I are baptized for the remission of our sins. This morning, if you want to become a Christian, We're going to sing this song while we pray and while we plead. If you need to become a Christian or you need to come back to the Lord, would you come as together we stand and sing.